was good. A hidden talent, man. That was, he wrote that song and performed it, so praise God. Man, it's awesome to see a changed life, isn't it? Yes. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Judges. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Brian. I'm pastor here at Heartland. And uh, I know we threw everybody off with the chair arrangement, so I hope everybody's groovy. It, I, I was going to do raise your hand if you like it, and then raise your hand if you don't. But I decided I don't want to cause any schism. So, um, so what I would actually ask is that truly on the, on the uh, bulletin, I am interested in your feedback, and we may not be able to do this much longer. We it was a kind of easy thing for the wedding to just leave it like it is, and um, and it's kind of some people really liked it. They're like grooving on it. Some others may be like, I hate it. So just vote on your little thing privately and put it in the, on, in the, in the box, and I'll look at them later. But uh, uh, with COVID and everything, we may have to add, we, we're probably down a few chairs, 30 chairs or so, so we may need to put it back just to get multiple uh, chairs in here. But if you really, really like it, it may have a, an influence. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, fortunately, none of that's eternal. And so at HBF, we're not going to split the church over chair seating. So I'll just take you to India with me, and we can all sit cross-legged on the floor for three hours, and then uh, you'll be happy to sit anywhere uh, when you get back to the States. So praise God. So, man, it is so good to be here. I'm just blessed today. I'm glad I'm a member of Heartland, and uh, just to be with you all today, it's just been a good day already. And uh, this morning, we're going to be picking up our series on conquering fear. It's really a heart issue series. This is kind of a mini-series inside of that. And uh, I'm going to just quickly review with you where we've been, because we've kind of been skipping like a rock uh, week to week on different things. And so I've been touching on this for the last several weeks, and we've been talking about the need uh, to really conquer fear uh, in in general. And I took some time, and we talked about conquering fear by defining fear biblically several, several weeks. It was last month, uh, and we talked about that. That was a message unto itself. And then I started on another aspect of that, talking about conquering fear by facing fear faithfully. And uh, we looked at some uh, examples of what not to do in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. And we've established that fear in itself is not uh, necessarily bad, uh, right? Fear, God gives us, there's, it's good to fear. We talked about fearing the Lord, right? That should be uh, a, a reality in our life that we understand righteousness and holiness and we have a godliness about us and and so it's healthy when it draws us to god's will and his provision and his blessing and his grace and his mercy that's that's not a bad thing unhealthy fear though causes us to compromise in uh, a culture of fear is a is a is not congruent it's incongruent with new testament faith so having a church that's encompassed in fear or a, a, a Christian life that's just terrorized all the time, living in fear, is not consistent. It's incongruent with what the New Testament teaches. And unhealthy fears, we saw, destroy our faith in God's Word. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 18, the Bible says, There's no fear in love, but perfect uh, love casteth out fear. Right? We want to be complete in love, because fear hath torment. Now, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So we know that... We all struggle with fear. I'm your pastor. I struggle with fear at times. Paul the Apostle, the one who said that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, also wrote in Acts, I was in much fear, right? Uh, uh, you know, there were times when, as a human, Paul, well, it was a little fearful at times when people were stood against him. But God's grace was enough, and unhealthy fear destroys our faith in God's word, and unhealthy fear destroys our faith in God's character Unhealthy fear destroys our faith in God's power, and unhealthy fear destroys our faith in God's provision. Right? We begin to doubt God's ability 
to provide what he says he will provide, and, and that puts us in a bad place uh, spiritually. So we examined examples of what not to do in Numbers 13 and understood that the, the consequences of faithlessness are much harder to bear uh, in time and eternity than the temporary discomfort of faithfulness. And even when you read, and you see that like worked out when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs or you read even contemporary martyrs uh, and the grace that's bestowed on people uh, that have given their life for the Lord Jesus in recent days, which folks have done that in recent days. I mean, ISIS killed um, countless numbers of Christians over the last few years. Uh, In India, just recently, some of our friends, our personal friends, are ministering to people who have, or to widows, of course, that uh, their husbands were martyred. But when you see that happen, obviously that's a terrorizing situation, but there's grace that God gives, and, and, the, and he gives them a grace to face the fear. And, and the, one of the widows uh, on the border of Arissa, I mean, she's, she stays in the village and keeps ministering. I mean, that's some, that's some kind of faith. That's a supernatural, divine uh, unction from God that he provides to accomplish the mission. So the mission of God, the promises of God in that dear widow's life eclipse her very existence on the planet. And that's a normal Christian life. That's a normal, that's the, actually, the, that's someone embracing the promises of God's word. That's an incredible thing. So in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, God's not going to call you to it, right? And if he does call you to it, he'll get you through it. He's not going to call you to it and not get you through it. So today, I just want you all to relax, take a deep breath. There's no, I don't think we're going to have to worry about being martyred today. Uh, you don't have to feel guilty if you don't have the, the widow's faith today, right? Uh, God will provide what you need when you need it. But what you do need and what I need today is the faith in God's word that we need today, right, to be successful and to conquer fear in a culture right now that many, many people are on edge. They're tense. They're, they're, uh, they really are living in fear of things that are not really uh, even eternal. And so there's bigger things that are, are going on. So in Hebrews 11, it says in verse 6, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, God's character is really what we're talking about. What, is, what does God uh, say? Is he good? And he is. And will he deliver? And he will. Upon what he promises? And he does even if we don't see it immediately, right? He will deliver his word. So this is the third installment on this subject of conquering fear. And I'm going to, we've already talked about defining fear biblically and facing fear faithfully. We've started on that in Judges chapter 6. So let's just take and look here in Judges chapter 6. And, and uh, let's just, I'm going to do this to you. I hate to do it. We just sat down. But I'm going to have you stand again. Uh, I apologize to all you that are, everything's comfortable on your lap. But just in honor of God's word, I want to read God's word in standing mode as Ezra did in the Old Testament. And, uh, and then I pray God's grace will give us understanding and the Spirit of God will teach us all things whatsoever he has said to us to, to today. Judges 6, starting in verse 1. This is the story of Gideon. It's familiar. Uh, I'm not going to be able to cover his whole life, but we're going to get a portion of it today. It says in verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel... And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was that when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come 
unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. Verse 5, For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land and destroyed it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And so we see here that uh, they were overwhelmed uh, by this influx of Midianites, and they were just ravaging the land. Verse 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, we don't have his name, but he says unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you uh, forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all, the oppre- all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. I delivered this to you, right? Verse 10, And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. You see, fear was a big problem. Verse 11, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was at uh, Oprah, and, and, uh, pertained unto, that pertained unto Joash, the, the Aberazite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now mark that, we'll get to that later. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And, and where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go, in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Uh, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and, and I'm the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, Then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come. So he goes into stall mode. Verse 19, And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour and flesh, and he put it in the basket, and he put both in a pot and brought it out under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because... I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in uh, Ophrah of the Aberazites. And it came to pass 
the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take my father's, uh, the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down uh, the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in, <clears throat> in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's house and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word that is truth. We're thankful for this story being an actual uh, artifact of history. It's a true story. It's a true account of a man struggling with faith, knowing that you have more for them more for him, more for his people, but Lord, yet he's in a personal crisis of belief. Oh, Heavenly Father, help our unbelief. We understand we live in a time much like the time of Judges when every man does that which is right in their own eyes. Lord, there is a time in which we live that is so similar that it's amazing, and we look forward to the coming of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of David. And in the meantime, may we individually reckon with our own fear and our reality that we need to be filled with faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. May you quicken your word today as we read it, as we hear it, as we preach it, Lord. May we leave here different than when we came in. May you be glorified. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we live in this time like the book of Judges as I was just praying about. And corporately, things were not functioning very well for the nation of Israel. Uh, as you can see, they were oppressed, and uh, we covered some of that already. We're kind of still in review mode, but God was looking for somebody, someone who would fear him, someone that would be faithful, someone that he could use to deliver them, like Joshua, like Caleb. God needed a man who would not go along to get along, but would stand in the gap and make a difference for Christ's sake. And of course, he finds Gideon. And we already saw uh, last time we met on this subject, we saw that fearless faith is personal. It does start with us, doesn't it? Uh, Gideon, you can say Gideon's like trying to do the Christian moonwalk, right? He's like, hey, I want something done, but man, don't call me, right? I want somebody else to do something. But really, at the end of the day, faith is personal. Nobody else can save you. Only Jesus saves you, and only you can make the decision to receive the gift of eternal life. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. It's a personal decision. Membership in the church doesn't save you. Uh, what saves us is the finished work of Christ and our faith in Him and His work alone. It's very personal. Worship is personal, and fearless faith is personal. So we saw that our faithlessness is personal to God, and He cares about our carnality. He, he cares when we are not living up to what He intended for us. God cares about His children, even when they live in rebellion. This is what the children, uh, children were experiencing in Judges 6, 2 through 6. Their problems came upon them, not because they were obedient. They came upon them because they were disobedient. It was an evidence that they were not actually walking with God as God had intended, and that was what they were experiencing. Every year at harvest time, for seven years, the children of Israel would plant their crops, harvest would come, the Midianites would come in, and uh, they'd sweep in from the east across the entire valley all the way to Gaza and pillage the crops, leaving the Israelites to starve. And, and that is why they were living in caves and dens and, and uh, living in survival mode, right, instead of thriving God doesn't want us just to get by and get along. He wants us to, he wants us to live a victorious Christian life. That doesn't mean he, it's not some prosperity gospel. He wants us to be secure and, 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 and walking in his, his uh, will. 
So God responded when the children of, in, of, of Israel finally cried out in repentance, right? Their heart and their mind was changed, and they realized they needed God. They couldn't do it on their own. They cry out to God, and God is so good to hear his people uh, whenever we want to hear from him. Uh, and so here are the people he wants to hear from. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. The rebellious. Perhaps you come in and you're rebellious. God still wants to hear from you, but he wants your heart to break, and he wants you to cry out to him. That's right, he's waiting for the rebel to call out to him like Moses who ran in the wilderness thinking that he would never be used of God again. And then finally, God says, no, Moses, it is, I am going to use you and you're going to have to work with me on this. And so God used the prodigal son as well. He wasted his inheritance, but he was, the father was just waiting to receive him when he finally realized, you know what, I am a loser. I have just wasted everything. If I just went home and, and, and my dad treated me like his hired servants, I would be better off than living in the world with the flesh and the devil. And man, I tell you what, if you're ready to come home, God's ready to receive you. He's ready to take in that rebel. Also, there's the underground and the oppressed, those who uh, are the secret agents, right? Those who, uh, like believers in China and Myanmar, North Korea, Belarus, and Muslim states, they can't just openly come out and, and just stand on the street corner. Like I was down at the plaza driving the other day, driving through the plaza. They're out on the street corner preaching the gospel. I'm like, praise God for that. You can't do that everywhere else. You know, I know everybody looks at them and goes, man, that's not culturally appropriate. Well, you know what? Praise God they're doing it. They're doing, they're not, at least they're doing it, right? I'm not against it. I'm all for it. So, so they're out preaching and, uh, and they can do that, but you can't do that everywhere. You know what? God's hearing your prayer. If you're watching us right now uh, from some place that's oppressed, literally physically oppressed, Man, we're thankful that you're watching us, and I pray the message gets through. We're praying for you. God hears your prayers most importantly. The impoverished, the, the, the Bible says in Hosea 4, 6, that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, right? So God, man, God hears those that are, that are hungry spiritually, like the nation of Israel that were under oppression in, the, in Egypt, and they cry out to God, and God sent a deliverer. The repentant, God not only wants to hear from the repentant, but he responds to those who turn to him from sin. And so if you're oppressed, God is just waiting for you to cry out to him in repentance. So God calls all who will, uh, who, uh, all by his word to face uh, fear in faith. And, uh, and we talked about that as well. So uh, fearless faith is personal. So we've already covered all that. That's, that's old news. But what we haven't covered is verses 11 through 27 uh, in depth. So I want to talk to you this morning about the fearless faith is worshipful. It's worshipful. And as you look in the text down here in, in uh, verse 11, look back down in the text. It says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is at uh, Oprah, not Oprah, uh, that pertained unto Joash, the Abarazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And so we worship God personally. Gideon's faith is personally... Uh, <clears throat> intentional. I mean, he is, God shows up at the oak, which is a place of worship. In this case, uh, I'm certain from the rest of the text that this oak that is pertaining to uh, Joash was probably not a random oak, but an oak involved in the groves of Ashtoreth. Notice that God is not intimidated by paganism, right? He is the creator, and he is not moved by witchcraft. The, these, this oak is probably part of what's going on in the Baal worship. This is not a good situation, but God's going to overthrow it. Worship of God is personal. And so God's, uh, Gideon's faith is uh, very personal initially. This is not about the nation of Israel. It's about him personally threshing wheat in hiding 
and, and wondering in his own heart, what in the world is going on? You ever do that? You know, you, you're, you're praying to God, you're talking to God, and you're like, what, how's this going to work out, uh, God? What, what is going on? It's very personal initially. And Jesus finds Gideon threshing wheat in secret, and God is providing grain for his house. All he needs to do is get some wheat. Uh, he, he needs to get back by the wine cellar. Uh, is that what it says there? He's by the uh, wine press, I should say. He needs to get back by the wine press, and he's got to thresh out some wheat so he can get some grain to feed his family. He just wants to eat. He's just wanting some food. God, give me some food. He can't even do this in the public because, well, they'll take it. And so he's very oppressed. He's providing spiritually and physically for his own house. That's what he's trying to do. He's just trying to take care of his. Man, that's a good thing, by the way. If you're a man, that ought to be your primary occupation. Before you want to run out and save the world, take care of your house. You can't save the world if you don't take care of your house. Right? That's just a practical thing. Gideon was taking care of his house. God sees that, and there's a man taking care of his house under difficult circumstances. That's a man I can use. You, you want to be a, a big boy for God and go out and win the world? Well, listen, start by taking care of your house. If you don't take care of your house, you're not qualified. Gideon doesn't see himself the way God sees him. Look at verse 12. He goes on to say, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Woo! I mean, that's, a, that's quite a thing for God to just roll up on you and say, Hey, God's with you, mighty man of valor. And I can imagine Gideon, whose name means hewer, beating his sheaves, you know, softly as he can, trying to trying to get the get the grain out, praying. Man, God, you've forsaken us. This is what happened to the land of milk and honey, man. This is not milk and honey. This is tough. I just need to get some grain for my family. What happened to Joshua? What happened to Caleb? What happened to the promises? He, he's fired up in his heart, and he's asking God questions in prayer. And I don't really know, but I can imagine it went something like, if, you know, if you've done mighty works to bring us here, why are we now bound by the Midianites these last seven years, God? What is the deal? Lord, why don't you raise up a deliverer like Moses? Why don't you raise up a deliverer like, well, like, like Joshua, or like Othniel, or, or like Ehud, or Barak? Anyone. I mean, we need someone, Lord. We need someone to take care of this problem that's going on in our, in our culture. We're all locked down in fear and nobody has freedom. What is the deal, Lord? We need him to help and we need it now. I don't know how long I can continue this lifestyle. And, and Lord, what about my children? I mean, God, I heard about that guy named Shamgar. If I just had his faith, man, he had an ox goad, and, and man, I got a corn knife right over here. And he's thinking in his heart. And that, guys, I'm, I don't really know. I wasn't there. But I imagine if, if he's like us, right, that's the kind of stuff that we would do as you're mowing the lawn <laughs> and thinking. Or some of you guys got those nice zero turns. So Whatever. Have you ever found that mowing the lawn is a great time to think? I love that time. That has nothing to do with the message. But anyway, it's as close to threshing wheat as I get. All right, so as Gideon is thinking these things, suddenly the angel of the Lord says, uh, 
the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. You're talking my language, Gideon. You're, you're touching my heart here. Gideon is, is a coward when we meet him. Uh, but by the time we get to chapter 7, Gideon is a conqueror. And God saw this the entire time. So, so more space is dedicated to Gideon than any other judge. There's a hundred verses given to him. Gideon appears first in the list of judges in Hebrews 11.32, ahead of Barak and Samson and Jephthah. He shares his doubts about God's reconciliation. Gideon has a personal connection with the God of the universe. That's amazing. And he shares his doubts with the God of the universe. And he knows his history. He understands the power of God. And he asks Jesus why God is not working now as he has in the past. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, Mike Pepper came through town. And, and, and he, he basically just shows us this door of opportunity, of obligation and opposition. And he stirs us up to be unleashed on our communities right here in partnerships around the world. And following that, we have a whole week long of Bible conference and we put together Bibles. I mean, God is moving among just common people, just threshing their wheat, just trying to get it done. Praise God. And time is clicking. Have you ever asked that question? Why aren't we seeing the revivals, right? Or the, the great awakenings that like D.L. Moody uh, saw in the, in the, in the 1800s? Or, or where is the, the, the early 1900 revivals and you start wondering, where's those mighty acts of God? What about those people that would go down the sawdust trail and complete towns would be revolutionized? What about George Whitfield preaching in, in Boston and, and people like uh, uh, Franklin, uh, what's his name? on the uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin being impacted by the preaching of a guy like George Whitfield. Whole nation being turned by the preaching of God's word. What happened to those days? And you start wondering, what's going on? And then God says, well, it starts with you. Look at verse 14. And the Lord looked down upon him and said, Go, in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? God gives him a very personal response. And he's, he's like, whoa. Gideon shares his excuses immediately of, of how God cannot use him in verse 15. And he said unto him, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and, and I am the least of my father's house. But God reassures him in verse 16, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. See, God reassured Gideon, you, Gideon, you're going to bring unity to Israel. And you're going to bring Israel together as a fighting force and deliver a great victory. He's like, what are you talking about? When you look at this discourse, it's amazing God even wasted his time with Gideon. His lack of faith results in him questioning God's care for his people, doubting God's choice of, of a deliverer. And fortunately, Gideon at least honored God by preparing a sacrifice. But this too was ultimately to be a sign to help his unbelief. And it is amazing the patience of God. Do you know God is super patient with his kids? Next time you want to get short with your children, think about how patient God is with you. He's super patient. He's hanging out with Gideon. He's like, okay, Gideon, bring it on. Okay. Yeah, well, he knows where this is going. 
all Gideon is doing is he's just like trying to back away from the call. You know what? what's scary is when we go to invitation for harvest uh, parties, going out and going door to door and talking to people about Christ. Some of you are too scared to do that. But still, God calls you to go. You need to go. You need to go. You need to see what it's like to just suffer a little reproach because you, you identify with Jesus Christ in his church. And you know, I have someone, I remember taking Elizabeth to a door one time. This guy's all mad at us and acted nasty. And I remember her response, and, and it was sad. She didn't understand it because she was innocent. She's a little girl. But you know what? Sometimes you get those responses, but you also get a lot of people that are just so thankful that you came by. You'll come across a lonely widow or something that just wants to talk, and you'll have an opportunity to realize that, you know what? There's people out there just waiting for you to go, and they need to hear the word of God. You know, I pray that when you spend time alone with God, that when you leave, you don't go away doubting, uh, but dedicated to who he says you are and what he has called you to do and be. Right? You ever read the word of God and you know God's talking to you and you know who God's called you to be? Man, don't allow the world of flesh and the devil to tell you that's a lie. Don't allow your flesh to talk you out of it. God wants to use you. God wants to use you right now. God wants to bring some people to Christ. God wants to see some people saved. He wants to see some Bibles go around the world, world, and he wants to see the word of God advance even before the Lord comes for his church. You just got to stand up and do it. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, the Bible says, And if he that doubteth is damned, if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So ex- exercise yourself to have a clean conscience. That's what we need to do. I need to do that too. So worship God privately, right? It's, it's definitely a personal thing. Um, worship God personally, but, and then it's okay to worship privately. You know, a lot of people say, I worship God privately. Well, that's really what we see in verses 19 through 24. He, he makes these, Gideon, he went in and he, and he made ready the kid, and he got the, got the, the uh, sacrifice ready. We read that. This process probably took an hour. A kid in an ephah of flour was no small sacrifice, by the way. It was a de- decent sacrifice considering the situation, knowing that food is scarce, right? So he's making a, he's making a good offering to the Lord, so, so give him credit. He honors the Lord with his sacrifice. In a time when he has nothing else probably to give, he gives all he has. I remember a song back many years ago, back when Romania was just first opened, and I discipled a young man ended up being a missionary there. And about that time, this song comes out about, uh, is based on a true story, about this little kid in a Romanian church service, a, a country that had been under great oppression. And as they're passing the plate, uh, this kid says, what if I give all I had? He just heard a message from the preacher. What would that gift do? And, and it just highlighted the, the faith of this child to just believe what the, mess, what the preacher said. And the conviction that set in on that man's heart, the, the, the father of that child. What, what would that gift do? Daddy, what if I gave all I had? Gideon has given a lot. I don't know if it was all he had, but it was a lot under the circumstances. We know that they didn't have a lot. And he's given a bountiful offering to the Lord. He's honoring the Lord. And so he has a heart to honor the Lord. He's willing to sacrifice, but he doesn't have the courage to actually believe that he is who God said he is. A mighty man of valor. A man that's going to mobilize the troops to go win the, 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 the battle against this great army, these people that are like, you know, grasshoppers in multitude. He's like, Lord, I think you're calling the wrong guy here. So in Judges 6.21, God brings fire. 
uh, from the rock and consumes the sacrifice and it vanishes before Gideon's eyes. And this is so awesome. The sacrifice pictures exactly what God wanted to do in Gideon's life. He wanted uh, his will to consume Gideon to the place that it becomes he's consumed by God. And, and beloved, that is, I wish I could just yell and that would happen, but yelling doesn't set fire into people's hearts. But the reality is, is you got to get fired up about God. We talk about getting fired up. You got to get fired up. Well, it's not just an emotional high. It's something that God stirs in the heart, right? And that, that sacrifice comes up, and it's consumed everything. And that's exactly what God wanted uh, Gideon to be. It's consumed with what God had already said he was willing and able to do. And, beloved, we know what Romans 12 says. We're to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. It's reasonable that God says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And, and take it personal and find out how you can get in on it and how you can be affected. We've got flip-flops and lollipops out here, man. There are ways to, to, to get involved right now today in taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. you just got to decide, you know what, I'm going to get in on it. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to go. He told Gideon, go. So Gideon realizes he's found grace in the, in the sight of the Lord in verses 22 through 24, which we read. Gideon rightly was concerned about dying because he had communed with God. He's like, oh my gosh, this is the angel of the Lord. <coughs> this is a Christophany. Uh, but God, though invisible, speaks to Gideon and assures his heart that he just offered a peace offering. He's like, oh, it's okay, Gideon. I'm not going to slay you. And again, remember several, several weeks ago when we started this, I talked about the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. You know, sometimes we don't see God's victory because we don't honor God. It's hard to see the victor give you victory if you don't honor the victor, right? I mean, oh, I want the blessings of the victory, but uh, who cares about the victor? Well, that don't make any sense, does it? Start giving him some personal worship, and God might change your, your perspective on that. It's a practical point. You should not go to war for God until you are at peace with God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if you're not at peace with God, then don't go to war for him. I've, seen, I've actually personally seen that go very wrong. I've seen people try to shoot off the lip about Jesus, but their heart is totally far from him, and they're just doing it for show. And, man, they get chewed up by the enemy, and God allows it. And their brother might be across the room or the tool bin or wherever we are at the time, and I'm sorry, brother, I can't help you out here because you don't have a testimony that's helpable. You're the one that made this pile, and you're stepping in it. You know what I'm saying? So listen, don't go to war for Christ unless you're at peace with him. Gideon's at peace with him, and so he's getting ready to go to war for him. Man, you can only be at peace with God, by the way, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Gideon makes a, a permanent altar to, com to commemorate that the Lord sent peace. And, and then when this is being written, it's mentioned, it's still there. This altar that Gideon, he makes an altar, and it's a, it's a memorial. It's like, I met with God here. Sometimes you get, that's why we've got altar calls. There's, there's times that people just kind of do that lightly. But there's times, I know I've gone to the altar, so to speak. I've made a decision, whether it was standing in my chair or literally coming to an altar and laying down something or asking God to do something or trusting God for something. I mean, it is like a memorial. That's why I can still remember it. Often, from time to time, I'll mention this or that happened. I remember moments in time, and when God is calling, it could be that God's calling someone today in this room, literally. I mean, like, not just calling it a, you know, something 
okay, do this or do that. But literally, like, God is calling you, like, you know, you need to sell all and go be a missionary or something. Well, then you know what? You need to, you need to remember that. You need to memorialize that. You need to make sure that you do what God is calling you to do if you need to go. You need to be prepared as well. If you're going to go to war, you've got to count the cost. Guess what? You're in a church that's here to help you do all of that. We want to, we want to train you. We want to send you. So Gideon, he spent, pers- he spent time personally with God, sharing his faith, uh, faithlessness, and, he's, and he has worshipped God privately by building him an altar and seeing God consume the sacrifice. Now God you, will use, pub, use him publicly as he tears down the altar to Baal to offer, to offer sacrifice on, uh, on an altar to Jehovah. So this is all about worship. It's all about worship. So we should worship God publicly, right? It's personal. It's private. But listen, beloved, the whole idea is it goes public. And I know where some of you are when you first get saved. Everyone knows you're saved. Everyone knows you're different. But then you've got to start making choices. Is this going to become who I am? Is it really who I am? I've been there. And then eventually God calls you to do something else. And, and the stakes go up and the stakes go up. And before long, your whole identity is now Christ. Right? You don't have to be a pastor for that to happen. But that is the way it is, right? You, you become that person that everybody looks at and goes, that is a Christian. You know what that means. You can't afford to do what Christians are, are not doing, right? What do, you should not go back and walk in the world. That means you are committed to walking with Christ. You have made the decision. As the old hymn says, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It's not because you want to impress everybody. It's not because you're trying to be a goody two-shoes. It's because this is the only way. This is the only truth. This is the only life. It's the only life. I've had enough of the other life. I've had enough of the Midianites. I've had enough of the Amalekites. I've had enough of it. And their effect on everything around them. I'm a tired of sin. And God gets a hold of your heart. And the reality of God's word sets in. And the reality is there's no other way but Jesus. And if you don't go his way, guess what? It affects everybody. It will affect people when you won't walk with God. And the Midianites will continue to destroy the culture and the people you love. And the drugs will set in. And the sin will set in. And the, and the, depra- the, 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 the depravity of humanity begins to be so apparent that God is looking for somebody that will just say, Listen, believe my word. Believe the word of God. And it goes public. God tells Gideon that he must go public with his faith. It's not just enough to worship God in private. It's good to start there. As a matter of fact, it's best to start there. But you know what? Some, at some point, you've got to come out with it. Jesus, Jesus wasn't ashamed. <laughs> so we shouldn't be either. It was shameful, for sure, for the God of the universe to hang naked on a tree for us. That's, that's ridiculously shameful. I can't even put it into words how obscene that is. For my sin, for your sin, man, we should all, it's heartbreaking. But he loved us so. He wasn't ashamed to die for us. You know what 2 Timothy 1.8 says? It says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You see, God has bestowed grace upon us and goodness. He's like, Timothy, come on, son. Son, come on. Son, there's nowhere else to go, Timothy. You're going to have to go this way. But man, when you do, it's worth it all. He saved us. He's called us with a holy calling. Not according to the work, not our works. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're all that. Not because we're great military leaders. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, God's got a plan for his kids. We know from this chapter that Gideon's family worshipped the Canaanite God. This is hard to believe, isn't it? It's incredibly risky for him to identify with Christ. And he's telling him to take livestock that belongs to his pagan father, tear down their pagan phallic symbol, and make an altar uh, and burn sacrifices. There you go, Gideon. It's going to start right here at home. Tear it down. Tear it down. Gideon takes ten servants and himself and accomplishes the mission by night. Kind of reminds you of what happened after the resurrection. There was 11 men left until they got Matthias in Acts. God can do a lot of damage to the enemy with 11 men, just like he did with the disciples after the resurrection. They were scared too. They were meeting in secret until Acts chapter 2 came, and then it went public. Fearless faith is personal. Fearless faith is worshipful, but fearless faith is also reproducible. In verses 28 through 35, we see that. Just look with me real quick at that. Judges 6, 28. It goes on to say, And when the men of the city arose in the morning, and beheld the altar of Baal was cast down, the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who had done this thing? And, and when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this thing. He did it! <laughs> Then the men of the city said unto Joash, this is his dad, Bring out thy son that, that he may die, because he has cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And notice what happens to Joash, who's obviously been participating in this false worship. Something changed in his heart, verse 31. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He, uh, he that will plead for him, let him be put to death. Whilst it is yet morning, if he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. I'm like, yes! Finally! What happened there? Well, I don't know, but you know what? Fearless faith is reproducible. Fearless faith is contagious to the convicted. It's contagious. Gideon wins the battle at home before taking the nation to war. And this was a plan that God had to teach Gideon uh, that he could trust him. It was probably harder for him to face off with his family and his, lo- and his local neighborhood than it would be go out and face the, Men- the Midianites later on. And so he tears this down and God is provoking, or I'm sorry, God is providing his sufficiency increment- incrementally. You know, God isn't calling him just to go get an army and go out and fight the Midianites. He says, just start right here at home. In your life, what is the next thing in your life that God needs you to see victory in? What is that altar that you need to tear down? What is it? Where is it? Get rid of it today. Face it Face it, and deal with it in faith, man, and see what God has for you. Man, that's contagious. When you start walking with God, others are going to want to start following. 
And so Joshua was faithful to go and lead Israel to battle under Moses before going forth in faith to lead Israel into the promised land. If you can't take care of lambs in the children's ministry, you are not fit to go out and lead mission trips around the world. Right? If you can't take care of a few lambs, what makes you think you're ready to go off and plant a church somewhere? Right? Take care of what's in front of you. Deal with the things that God has in front of you, and God will give you the grace to grow incrementally. Right? Faithful with least, faithful with much. So young David had the faith to slay the lion and the bear before he had the, the faith to face Goliath. He didn't just start off with Goliath. He started off with a lion and a bear. And then one day Goliath comes along. Everybody's in fear, but David, why? Because he knows the God of the lion and the God of the, that could slay the bear. So don't worry about the faith you need tomorrow. Work on the measure of faith that you need to exercise today. Just do the next right thing. Elisha observed Elijah, and, and he saw that faith before asking for a double portion of God's Spirit. You know, Timothy learned from Paul's faithfulness before taking on the responsibility of Ephesus and following in his stead. And it's recorded that uh, historically that we believe that Timothy was also martyred, a man who had stomach problems and was weak. Eventually, God gave him at the right time the grace he needed to be a witness for Christ and give his life. Gideon's peers are angry with Gideon in, in verses 28 through 30. Before Gideon could declare war on Midian, he had to declare war on Baal. You know, really, that's really what it's about. It's about worship, isn't it? And beloved, I cannot help but draw the analogy today. If you look around at all the cultural issues, at the end of the day, it all boils down to one thing, and that's worship. This is about God and the devil. This is about humanism and, de- de- and the, de- the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no two ways around it. If you want a humanistic philosophy, it's out there to take. If you want the Lord Jesus Christ, it's out there to take. And you've got to de- make a decision. And Gideon says, you know what? I'm choosing God. He gets so fired up, he tears this down with his ten buddies. And you know, next thing you know, his dad, who obviously was hosting this because it was his altar, says, wait a minute. You're going to mess with my boy? Well, I'll tell you what. You, I'll tell you what. You go ahead and defend your God. We just tore his altar down. He cannot take care of himself. Get off me. Get away from my son right now. All of a sudden, he's getting family-oriented. He's focusing on the family. And the heart of the father and the son were knit. Before Gideon could declare war on Midian, he had to declare war on Baal. And that was scary because Gideon knew his peers would be angry. In fact, they wanted to kill him. That's what they said. We need to kill Bring your son out right now so we can slay him. He's like, What? You ain't slaying my boy. I'm not giving up my son for your religion. Because, well, all of a sudden, I remember what Joshua said. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'll take my God over your God any day. Now what are you going to do? That that just appeals to us men, doesn't it? (laughs) But it does. You know, because in a time like that, in a time when people will stand for nothing, you need somebody to stand for Jesus. And so Gideon was the one who had the, the right, according to Exodus 34, 12 through 13. I'm not going to, well, I'm going to read it to you. He had the right, according to the word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 5. If anyone had the right to slay anybody at that moment, it was Gideon. He doesn't, but he had the right to. Exodus, I got, here's the verses, Exodus 34, 12 through 13. Take heed to thyself. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, that's the promised land, where they're living, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee, 
but ye shall destroy their altars and break their images and cut down their groves. What that means is Gideon was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Destroy their images, break down their altars, and cut down their groves. But he's being called a hater. Deuteronomy 13 and verse 6. If thy brother, thy son, thy mother, thy son, or thy daughter, or thy wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is in thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, nor thy thy fathers, namely the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or afar off from thee, from one end of the earth unto the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto them, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be uh, first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones and he, that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Oh, you know, Brian, that religion, it's just oppressive. It's just, uh, it's just, it, just, it just is so oppressive. Oh, really? Tell me how free you feel in the homosexual community right now. How free, free do you feel when you can't even say a word without it being attacked if it's not exactly the right thing which changes from day to day? Where does liberty really come from? I tell you where liberty comes from. It comes from Christ. He's the one who sets the captives free. He's the one, praise God we're not in the Old Testament. It's not our job to go out and execute judgment on people today in the New Testament. But beloved, we preach a loving, gracious gospel. Why? Because Jesus has already won the victory and the day of judgment is yet to come. So we, like ambassadors for Christ, go forth into a culture saying, please repent, please stop, please turn to Christ, please tear down the altar to Baal, please receive the goodness of God. Receive the love of God now because God's not kidding. He is well able to take care of his own business and he will, but it's only because of his grace, it's only because of his goodness that he has not already dropped the hammer. We deserve everything in this country. We deserve everything we get. We are kidding ourselves if you kill babies for 30 years and we we let everything go when the whistle blows well good night what do you expect to get so christians need to shut up quit crying about it and go preach the gospel like we were supposed to be doing from the very beginning and that changes culture when we live like jesus anyway that's what i really think (laughs) so these faithless men who are called for gideon's execution are fortunate They're fortunate that they themselves were not executed. And there's plenty of haters out there, but you know what? What should we be doing? We should be praying that they don't get executed. All this stirs Gideon's father's faith, so he defends his son. And if you pay attention to this story, it's a nice nuance that we just can't let slide past us. Because Gideon was leased in his house. He probably was not participating in Baal worship with his family. He may not have been brave, but he certainly wasn't a pushover either. One of the greatest victories that Gideon probably ever saw in his life was his father's conviction over his, over his worship of Baal. And God's work in, in Gideon moved his father's heart, which Gideon probably never could have imagined. And Gideon's father endorsing his faith in God against Baal was equivalent to God saying, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. 
some of you fathers need to encourage your sons and your daughters' faith. You may be the only cheerleader they have in this world that's going to cheer them on in the things of God. In this world, they need to see that you have faith in what God is doing in their life. In a world that has no king and everyone does that which is right in their own eyes, you need to let them know their faith is celebrated in your eyes. It's lovely in your eyes. It's exciting in your eyes. Because, guys, they're not going to get a cheerleading squad anywhere else. These kids over here in the E-Wing, junior high, high school, man, we need to be excited for their faith. We need to celebrate their faith. You know why we need their faith. Gideon's dad is the, is the one who gave him a new name, Zerubbabel. I misnamed this boy. He's not Hewer. Man, he's, let Baal contend. That's what he's saying. I'll tell you what. You want to pick a Hey, just bring it on. My boy's got it. I'm right here with him. Man, I just, I like that. Gideon's dad tells the man of the city, why are you fighting for Baal? If he's God, let him take care of his own business. And I don't think Joash, obviously, was anyone to mess with because nobody stepped across the line, did they? Gideon's faithfulness was now contagious. All of a sudden, the men in the village are like, did you see, did you, you know what, I've always thought, I'm with, I'm with Gideon, man. That's right. What he said. Because you know why? Everybody was just looking for someone that would stand up and say the truth and do the truth. Faithfulness is contagious to the committed. In verses 33 through 35, that's what we see. And all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who was also gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and to Zebulun and to Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And all of a sudden, all the troops are coming, and whoo! Now Gideon's so fired up, he's ready to meet the Midianites. He goes out and rounds up his fellows, his countrymen from the tribe of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, those who impacted the Midianites. He blows the trumpet. He calls them to battle. 32,000 men show up to battle. Would to God we get so excited about the word of God that thousands of people would come together to put it together. You know, we had hundreds. I'd say, Randy, do you think we had hundreds of people come for a Bible conference? About 100 people. And what if we got so excited about the word of God that people just couldn't help coming, put it together? Let's put swords together for Jesus. Fearless faith is personal, it's worshipful, it's reproducible, and it's expandable. And I got to be done. So let me be quickly, as let's just read this and I'll wrap it up. It says in verse 36, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by thine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece in a bowl uh, full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with thy fleece. Let it now be dry upon the fleece and upon the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so in the night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. You know, with all this excitement, Gideon was even more scared than ever. You know, when you have a, some of you men and women, you have that little baby, that first baby, you're like, what am I going to do with this? What a gift. 
God puts you in responsibility. You always wanted to be in charge. Now that you are, you're like, what am I going to do with this? God, are you sure I got the right thing here? Are you sure you want me to take care of this precious child? Are you sure you want me to lead this family? Are you sure you want me to lead this ministry? Are you sure you want me to lead this church? Are you sure you want me to to take this missions trip? Are you sure you want me to do this or that or the other thing? You know what? God's saying go. God stretches our faith in his ability to work through us. Unbelief hinders the work of God in our lives. Now Gideon sees his standing army of 3,200 men, and he realizes that they're about to face an army of 135,000 men who ride camels while they're on foot. And this is something like you'd see in Braveheart. I mean, this is like, this is lopsided. And the only difference is the gravity of all, all of this sets in on Gideon, and, and he's ready to hit the chicken exit once again. And guys, I, can, I think I could relate to that. How about you? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not one of those dudes that really wants to be the front guy. I'd rather just let someone else take the hit. But there's something about this thing. God didn't call someone else for this particular engagement. God called Gideon. God didn't call me to raise your family. He called you to raise your family. God didn't call me to lead your ministry. He called you to lead your ministry. God calls men and women to do what he calls them to do, and he needs them to step up and do it and not hit the chicken exit. But he will incrementally help us in our faith. And, and they offered, Matthew 13, 57, and they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. And he did uh, not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, unbelief kind of hinders. It quenches, doesn't it? Let's not be those that quench the spirit. Let's, let's let God do what God wants to do. God will help our unbelief when we ask him to. Mark 9, 24 and straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, help my unbelief. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. One of the reasons I think God has been so gracious with Gideon is because Gideon truly cared about God's glory. Remember, this, whole started, this all started when, with worship and prayer. It was very private. It was very personal before it ever went public. Probably one of the, the characteristics that, that, uh, that prompted God to choose Gideon was his attention to making sure this was going to work, by the way. The fact that he gave care to the fact that he wanted it to work was, showed that Gideon was not careless. He was careful, and he could be trusted to lead the troops in the battle. We'll see in the chapters to come, if you go ahead and read that, that Gideon was slow to convince. But once he was convinced and focused, there was literally nothing that could stop him or discourage him from accomplishing God's mission. And so don't be quick to judge. Sometimes people that you think are never going to deliver are exactly the ones that God wants to use to deliver. Because once they're fully persuaded, there's nothing that's going to stop them. So God stretches our faith in his ability to trust him. Gideon is making a fool out of himself. His faithlessness reveals his trust issues and his own controlling nature. But God puts up with him because he sees how he'll, he'll end up despite the way he's acting now. And Moses was just like that. He wanted Aaron as a safety blanket. But before it was over, Moses did fine without Aaron. And you could make the case that Aaron may have even hindered Moses at times. So God's meekness reveals our weakness. So facing fear expands our faith exponentially, which is the whole point of this whole series. And I'm coming to the close. At the end of the day, you've got to face the fear. You've got to face the fear. Whether it's fear of dying and going to hell, you need to face it. And you need to face it head on. And realize that Christ is your sufficiency for salvation. But beyond that, in our walk with Christ, Judges chapter 7, God delivered Israel from the pruning 
uh, by pruning and by placing quality over quantity, reducing the troops from 22,000 to 10,000 to 300 faithful men. And then God brought the victory in an incredibly unorthodox manner. We can't even depend on our own strategies. So Judges 8, they go over there and they are so successful that Ephraim is fighting mad because they were not called into the battle. And, jo- and Caleb's like, hey, wait a minute. Or not Caleb, but Joshua. Or not Joshua. Who am I thinking about? Gideon. <laughs> Gideon. Jeruable. He is like saying, wait a minute, man. There's plenty of work to go around. We'll, we'll go ahead and let you in. And Gael and the son of Ebed said, who is Amalek and who is Shechem and, and that we should serve him? Is not he the son of Jerubbabel? And Zubal, his officer, serve the men of Hamor, thy father, or Shechem. For why should we serve him? You know, Ephraim is so upset. They don't even realize what God has been doing in their midst. Because it's all about them. They're not even focused on God's will. This morning, we've got to make a decision to conquer fear and faith. And I want to encourage you to have fearless faith. It needs to be personal. It needs to be worshipful. It needs to be reproducible and expandable. And if you're in this church and you've not availed yourself of our discipleship process, starting with Discipleship One, I want to encourage you to just take that next step. That's what we do, is we make disciples that make disciples. And avail yourself of the opportunity to grow in God's word and God's grace so we can all reach our potential in Christ. I started with this verse, I'm going to end with it. In Hebrews 11, it says, But without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Who are we really wanting to please? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. It doesn't say, he that cometh to God must believe that he does. You've got to believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Start with him, and he will work out all the other things. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time in your word. There is an old hymn called Faith is the Victory. Faith is the victory, O glorious victory that overcomes the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. Thank you for Jesus' faith. It's not even our faith that saves us. It's Jesus' faith. He believed the Father. He, He went to the cross. He died on our place. And He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He's alive right now, and he calls all of us to lay down all the altars of Baal and worship him, and he will deliver us in great victory. Oh, Lord, thank you for that great faith. Thank you for the opportunity to participate in the great commission of going and taking the gospel to to Jerusalem right here in Cass County, to to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, very literally, from from Cass County to to, uh, the Macon Republic right out in our foyer. Lord, we can do that today. So, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this opportunity to deal with this one hard issue of fear. And help us to not be faithless but believing. Help us to not be those filled with fear but filled with faith. Faith in what you said. and Give us the heart to go and to believe and take the next step and allow you to continue to grow us into victory. Oh, Lord, for you have delivered us in victory. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just... I can't quit without asking this. If you would say, Brian, that's me. I need to face the fear of of what happens when I die. And I'm afraid if I die today, I'd spend eternity in hell, and I want to settle that. I want to know what you're talking about, about being saved. If that's you this morning, I I want you to raise your hand right now. It's not a trick. I just need to, I want to identify you and and, uh, see who you are. I'm not, nobody's looking around. But you're saying, Brian, that's me. I need you to pray for me in this regard. Anybody at all? Anyone in the room? Am I right? In the middle? Just raise your hand. 
Am I left? Anybody at all? Would, would we all say that we're saved today? I would hope so. That would be awesome. What an army of Christians that God has prepared to go out right now, to love God, to love people, to rejoice in the, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. And if you're one that says, Brian, I just need some prayer today. Man, amen. Maybe you need to take advantage of the altar. It's here. We're going to be quiet for just a moment. I saw those hands, and we're going to pray for each other. If you need to step out and lay a landmark down, now's the time to do it. We have no music. It's just the Lord and you. If you want to do that, you can. You don't have to. But it, I just want to take this time and let God work in our midst. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is it he's asking you to believe? What are you needing to trust him to remove from you so that you can actually go public with your faith? Are we worshiping privately and personally? Are we, is that where we need to start? Maybe we need to make a commitment to that. Is our faith contagious or is it corrupted? Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that our faith isn't corrupted. Heavenly Father, I want to just pray for those that had hands raised. Lord, there's hurt in this room. There's people whose lives are in turmoil, uh, some because of fault of their own, some because of no fault of their own. Lord, we don't, I don't know all the issues. There's hidden issues of the heart that I don't even need to know, but you know. Lord, there's folks that are struggling with doing the right thing. There's folks that are hurting because they've done the wrong thing. Lord, I just know how it is. Lord, people's hearts are always in a place where they need a touch from you. And, and Lord, we pray right now that your, your word would be like an ointment, like a salve that would, would just meet the needs of the hearts in this room this morning for your honor, for your glory, for your grace, Lord. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in our lives. Lord, we pray that our worship would be sweet with you and it would be evident to others. And that you would use us to win our families to Christ, that, that we'd make an influence upon those around us that are immediately around us and those around the world, because that's your will. Lord, help us to be those people that follow you that seriously, that you would be honored and glorified. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. And uh, as uh, we get ready to, to conclude, I just want to uh, remind you, we have a mission trip coming to Monmouth. A real opportunity that you can take that may be fearful uh, is to go to Monmouth on a missions trip. So see Ray Blowers. He's in the booth. He needs about, we really need, we need four to six people. Like, we need that. We would take nine or ten or probably 12, but we need more. So if God is pressing that on your heart, see Ray Blowers. Thank you for giving. We're not taking up an offering. So on the way out today, if you could drop, if you have a gift for the Lord, just drop it in the offering boxes at the corners. And uh, with that, uh, thank you for coming. God bless you. We'll have a few announcements in just a moment, and we'll be dismissed. Stone could overtake love Tell me why I should run for cover at the sound of the coming thunder. When all I hear is the cry of my lover. So take your shot. I won't turn back.
After Graylin's death, running was one of the things I started doing to help me cope with the grief and anxiety that I was struggling with. Running was one of the things God used to help me hang on to the hope of moving forward. In 2013, I heard about a 5K race that was going to be taking place on his actual birthday. And we decided since the race was on his birthday, maybe we can ask some people close to us if they would want to run with us. And we'll just have our own little Grayland Reese team and just run for him on his birthday. And that's how the Grayland Reese 5K began. We never wanted remembering Graylin to be just about Graylin because Gordon and I understand eternity and we didn't want it to be us selfishly just remembering Graylin, our son. We wanted it to be about benefiting children in need from an eternal perspective and the groups that we raise funds for invest in children's souls and we wanted it to be about furthering the gospel because that's the greater message. Yeah, um, that um, 5K, I've been a part of that for the last two, three, four years, something like that. And there's been other folks in our church who do that. And what they do is they raise funds for orphanage. So there is a purpose behind the race. And uh, where they hold this at Shawnee Mission Park is an absolutely uh, beautiful place to go to run out of breath. So I would encourage all of you, uh, encourage those of you who would like to be a part of this, uh, to be a part of that. And uh, that's uh, coming up on um, in November, November 7th. It starts at 10 o'clock in the morning, but it is, uh, it is a wonderful place to do this, and it is for a very good cause. Um, <clears throat> um, do we know what this is? A bulletin, that's right. <laughs> and one of the things about this bulletin that uh, speaks to me is that we are a very active church, and there's a lot of things that are very timely coming up very soon, and that's what my, uh, that's what my uh, uh, job is here is to remind you of some of these things, such as the Harvest Party coming up October 24th. It uh, starts at 11 o'clock in the morning, goes till 3 p.m. And I believe on the 18th of uh, Sunday that we're going to go out and we're going to invite the community to come to the Harvest Party. So if you are interested in becoming a part of the Harvest Party or interested in going out on the, on the 18th, see Jim Lee or Jeremy Bonison, they'll get that all together. And you also look, uh, look for Chris and uh, Lauren Cohen right back here at the table, and you can sign up to take care of a booth. And uh, so that's coming up on the 24th. Uh, there's also the Youth Fall Retreat that uh, Luke Fleshman wanted to uh, let everybody know about. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you can get a hold of Luke. You've got information here in the bulletin. He's got a packet for any of the students that are going that's very important that they get a hold of. And... Um, if you need to sign your uh, student up, you can do it online, or I think you can do it right here at this uh, Connection Center as well. But time is short uh, because, um, let me see here, let me find it again on my, uh, it's uh, the 9th through the 11th, so it's, it's just right around the corner, just right around the corner. Also, um, Monmouth, uh, Brian already touched on that. Uh, Ray does need a few more folks, five to six folks. 
So if you're of a mind to go to Monmouth, I would encourage you to go. That's a wonderful trip. Uh, Pam also wanted me to let you know about uh, lollipops for flip-flops. There's a table right back here. As you know, we're trying to get flip-flops for the children in the Dominican Republic. And please stop by and visit with Pam about that situation and uh, see, if the, see if you could help out with that as well. And let's see here. Am I leaving? Probably. Am I leaving anything out? Invest study with the women uh, this October 12th and the 15th. Uh, be sure you check your bulletin about that, uh, the women's study. Uh, it's a ministry for women only. So, guys, stay home. And so uh, check with uh, Ann Boyette on that. And I think Lisa Lockwood is also a partner to that as well. So I think that's most everything. So please be sure, get a bulletin, check things out. Oh, and one other thing. Um, right there on the side is a tearaway. Put your name on that and put it in the collection box. That way we can keep track of everybody who's been here, okay? Jim, Pat Lee. I know a Jim Lee. I apologize for that, Pat. I apologize. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer, and then everyone will, is excused. Lord God in heaven, we thank you, Father, for our pastor and for the timely lesson that he gave us uh, today. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would take that home and we would uh, ruminate over what he had to say to us, Father. We pray, Father, for this church. Protect it, keep it uh, faithful, Father, in these uh, trying times. I pray for each and every family represented here. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon them and protection. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Often feel